Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. To some, he's an icon, a hero, a great public intellectual the best-selling author of a self-help book whose every utterance on YouTube instantly gets hundreds of millions of views. To stand up straight with your shoulders back is to open yourself up to the world. To others, he's the face of the culture wars, a man propping up the patriarchy and providing an intellectual facade for the alt-right. He rails against people who disagree with him as Marxist left-wingers. I am no fan of the radical left. Jordan Peterson, the Canadian academic and global culture warrior, has always divided opinion. But the one thing everyone can agree on is that he's had a hell of a year. Jordan Peterson had been checked into rehab for benzodiazepine dependency in America. What emerged then the following year seemed so completely bananas and implausible. Ricocheting all around Russia and Eastern Europe, catching God knows what and being put in a coma. And I just thought, well, of course, none of that's going to really be true. Why was Jordan Peterson put in a coma in Russia? How does a man who built his fame on preaching the bootstraps mentality cope? when life spirals out of control. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, when Decker met Jordan Peterson and his daughter. My name is Decker Aikenhead and I'm chief interviewer for The Sunday Times. Two weeks ago, Decker interviewed Jordan Peterson and his daughter Michaela over Zoom from Jamaica. Right now I'm in a little fishing village on the south coast of Jamaica and I'm slightly worried that the noise of the waves outside might be somewhat distracting. It gets quite rough, the sea. So yeah, I've been stranded here since before Christmas. The interview with Jordan Peterson and his daughter was certainly memorable. Within about five minutes, I was thinking, this is the most mind-boggling, jaw-dropping interview I I can remember doing. But before we go on, how did we get here? Who is Jordan Peterson and why on earth was Decker talking to his daughter? Let me take you back to 2018. Why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? It just exploded all over Twitter and by lunchtime it felt as if it would have been bizarre not to watch it. Because in order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. 
Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> that interview with Channel 4 presenter Kathy Newman was the moment when Jordan Peterson went from being a cultish figure on YouTube to being a household name. It was also when Decker first heard about him. I couldn't quite reconcile the scale of the excitement and the controversy around that interview with the demeanour or the statements of the person sitting in the studio. Jordan Peterson doesn't look like a man who inspires such emotion. In most appearances, he looks like an unremarkable academic in a three-piece suit. Polite, courteous, he rarely raises his voice, but his words are charged with controversy. He became a bogeyman for the left as he railed against political correctness and claimed that racism and sexism didn't in any way skew society or hold people back. On the right, he was celebrated for owning libs with his arguments about how the patriarchy didn't really exist. This is a trope that people just accept. Western society is a male-dominated patriarchy. It's like, no, it's not. That's not true. Whilst Jordan Peterson gained global attention with his controversial interviews, he also found fame with the publication of his book. Rather unusually for an academic, it's a self-help book. I have to be honest, I actually went and bought his global best-selling book, Rising. 12 Rules for Life, I think. 12 Rules for Life and Antidote Care. That's the one. He says, you know, you must stand up straight with your shoulders back. Tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Treat yourself like you are someone you are responsible for helping. Make friends with people who want the best for you. It became a bible for young men looking for meaning and strategies for coping with life. But it wasn't the book that made Peterson famous. By the time it was published, Peterson already had a loyal following. His videos and lectures on YouTube had turned him into a hero for disenfranchised young men. They'd become drawn to him for his controversial opinions. Here was an academic giving voice and legitimacy to their own views. He first rose to prominence back in 2016, two years before his book came out. On campus at the University of Toronto, he railed against a new law which he argued would compel him to use a transgender person's preferred pronouns. The reason I'm defending freedom of speech is because that's how people get their opinions, settle their opinions in a civil society. So it started with a trans issue, but he quickly widened the net, taking on feminism and the Me Too movement. So, essentially, the arguments which made him very famous go something along the lines of, he says that masculinity is under attack from neo-Marxist leftists on sort of loony university campuses where they're all drunk on their own kind of wokeness. For Peterson, masculinity is under constant attack from what he describes as woke leftists. I believe that there's a danger in our society at the moment of making the assumption that our culture, for example, is a tyrannical patriarchy. He detests identity politics. 
You're a woman. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm a black woman. Well, I'm a black woman who has two children. Well, I'm a black woman who has two children and one of them isn't very healthy. And he doesn't believe in the patriarchy. He doesn't believe women have been held back. He just thinks society reflects the natural order of things. There's a war on competence. Because if you admit that there are hierarchical structures that are predicated on competence, then it, then you have to grapple with the issue of competence and you have to grapple with the issue of valid hierarchy. Ever since he sort of exploded onto the scene, I've of course been curious. And I think the, the thing that I was most curious about was, was trying to reconcile how this what unremarkable-seeming man has generated this colossal international circus of adulation and outrage. I mean, it's really the case wherever he has gone, he is mobbed by tearful fans, very typically young men who tell him that their life was a mess, that they were sleeping in bed until four o'clock in the afternoon, they were disrespecting their mum, they were smoking too much cannabis, they couldn't be asked to get a job, they played video games all night. And they report to him in these breathless and utterly sincere terms that he has saved their life, that he's, they've followed his advice, they've got their act together, and now they're leading more productive lives. So that is absolutely real. It's also the case that frequently when he speaks at events, protesters will gather in such numbers outside that the event can be barely audible or they will bang on the windows and smash. The extremes of the response on both sides I think are probably pretty much equal. So there is an argument for saying that to this generation of completely lost young men, here is this kind of sort of substitute father figure who's just giving them some fairly stern advice and on balance the world is a better place for that. Of course, there is another school of thought, which is that those uneducated, angry, resentful young men who are furious with women and minorities for coming and stealing what they perceive to be their power, then for them, Jordan Peterson is a kind of gateway drug to much uglier, darker, alt-right radicalization on the internet. I mean, it's really interesting that you talk about them wanting a stern father figure. I mean, is, is that what he offers? Well, I suppose the interesting answer to that question is whether he can still perform that role and provide that service to lost young men in the light of the story that's now emerged and which he and his daughter told me about what's happened to him in the last 18 months of his life. We'll come on to that in just a moment, but when you managed to secure this interview with him, how did you prepare? Because his modus operandi is sort of to basically infuriate, particularly female interviewers. So how do you go into an interview like that? How do you prepare yourself? I watched an enormous amount of YouTube videos and lectures, and I watched a podcast consisting of a conversation between he and his daughter that they released last summer. People like Jordan Peterson are professional provocateurs, professional contrarians. His whole job is about trying to wind up people like me by trying to generate arguments that will get someone like me increasingly wound up. I thought, I don't want to get into another argument because that's what you always do. And I'm not sure how illuminating it is, particularly now that everyone, as far as I can see, has made up their mind 
which camp they're in when it comes to Jordan Peterson. So I was more interested in his personal story and who he is and what it's been like for him to become Jordan Peterson in his mid-50s. And I had a hunch that that would be a more illuminating line of inquiry than, here we go again, let's have another hour about identity politics. And it certainly was. The place to begin is to explain that I was obviously very aware of these startling stories which emerged last year. Uh, Actually, the very first one emerged, I think, in the autumn of 2019, that Jordan Peterson had been checked into rehab for benzodiazepine dependency in America. Uh, And for somebody who has built an entire philosophy, career, public reputation around, as he says, stand up straight, pull your shoulders back, crack on. Life should be tough. It should involve pain and suffering. And the manly thing to do is to square your shoulders and deal with it. So, of course, it was something of a surprise to discover that he'd become dependent on on benzodiazepines, which is a form of sort of sedative prescription drug. Valium is the most commonly known. Xanax is another one that people will have heard of. But what emerged then the following year, and which Jordan discussed with his daughter Michaela in a podcast they released last summer, that story seemed so completely bananas and implausible that I assumed the chief function of this interview would be about getting to the bottom of what really happened and setting the record straight. Here's a clip from that podcast. You and Andre, your husband, took me out of that hospital and we went to Russia, of all places, near Moscow, to try a treatment offered by a clinic there that used... Uh, They used Propofol and Dextor. Right, right. Propofol as a heavy sedating agent, which basically made me unconscious for nine days. Yeah, so you were completely out for nine days. And it's so strange because we're now in Serbia, weirdly enough, in <laughs> Belgrade of all bloody places. And we've been here about two weeks and went to yet another specialty clinic run by an anesthesiologist. And they modified the medication that I was taking in Florida. So I thought we would be sitting down to kind of set the record straight and clear up these bonkers stories. I just thought, well, of course, none of that's going to really be true. And we'll sit down now and get a more coherent, sensible account of the last 18 months. And I have to say that is not what happened. So tell me about Michaela. I mean, this is Jordan Peterson's daughter. Were you expecting to speak to her? What's her role in all of this? Well, I mean, she's 28 years old and she is the CEO of her father's company. Her role seems much, much, much more than that. I thought when I was told that I would have a quick kind of briefing with her, that it would be sort of 10 minutes with a close family member wanting to put me in the picture to spare her father from having to do it. That's what I was expecting. I was also expecting her to look like she did a few years ago, but she's now hyper, hyper kind of blonde, glossy, red lips, amazing makeup, towsily hair. I guess she looks like a social media influencer, I I would say. I had thought this was a quick briefing from a family member. I didn't understand, although this became apparent very quickly, pretty much as soon as I started interviewing her, that she is 
in charge of this interview. She's in charge of her father. She's in charge of the whole show. This is Michaela's operation, and she's going to be in charge of everything that was going to take place between he and I. Well, tell me more about that. I mean, I understand she 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 told you a bit about her diet for a start. Tell me about that. So Michaela has suffered from juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, an autoimmune condition, since she was very young. And by the time she got to university, she ended up dropping out because she just had this kind of endless list of mysterious ailments of one sort or another. And she describes herself as being close to death. And so in a bid to cure herself, having become frustrated with the failings of doctors, she began food elimination, whereby she would eliminate one food type from her diet after another. And it got down to the point where she was eating only red meat and greens and salt. And she said she began to feel so much better that she then persuaded her father to adopt this diet. She then fine-tuned it to the point where she and her father for the last, I think, two years now, certainly she for three, her father possibly more like 18 months, they've, they've existed literally of nothing but beef, salt and water. That's it. Beef, salt and water. No, no sort of, no, no vegetables or...? Absolutely none. And they steadfastly maintain that it has cured them of everything. Jordan Peterson says it's cured his gingivitis, his incurable gingivitis, the floater in his ear, aches and pains, difficulty waking up in the morning. And crucially for him, he said it cured the depression he had been struggling with and taking antidepressants for for the last 15 years. I mean, that, there's, <laughs> there's so much there that's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I'm fascinated by the idea of somebody surviving on a diet of beef and salt because it sounds like everything a heart attack specialist would warn you against. I mean, it's, it, that is mind-boggling in itself. But also the idea that this man who's become a symbol for so many depressed young men and sort of has provided them with hope and advice and rules for how to live, literally, that's the title of his book, but he's actually been suffering from depression all along. Well, he would make the, I think, perfectly legitimate case that actually most people, in, most people who become psychologists will have a history of their own issues that they've been addressing, that in many ways you might feel that if you are suffering from depression and need help, who better to help you than somebody who has likewise suffered and understands and has advice for how to get out of it. I think that was, that was a completely legitimate position for him to have taken and one that he did when he first became famous and then he would talk a little bit about his own history of depression. It seems to run in the family. His father suffered from it terribly. His daughter suffers from it. And he presented this very much in the kind of biomedical model that this is just, this is a genetic malfunction in our family which leaves us prone to depression, which I treat with medication in the form of SSRIs. So he was very much of the school of thought that his depression was just one of those kind of medical anomalies. It was unrelated to how he lived his life. It was more it was more analogous to, say, diabetes, where you just need insulin to keep you going. And I think up until 2018, 
you know, he could have made a, a fairly good case for that. It's what happened next that I think makes his pretensions to dispense all the answers about mental health to everyone else. I think what happens next casts that into some question, to put it mildly. As you point out in, in your piece, one of his catchphrases over the years, he often says there's no evidence for that in response to, to, to questions. What evidence is there in terms of this beef and salt diet? Well, this is when we have a complete departure from everything we associate with him about being erudite, evidence-based, and he seems blithely untroubled by the lack of any medical evidence to support the wisdom of this diet. He says, anecdotal's fine with me. And to this day, he continues to eat nothing but beef and water and salt. Odd. And this is also sort of based on his daughter's advice, who, as far as we know, doesn't have any scientific training. His daughter is of the view that, I think in her words, doctors are just people, right? Like many, many people in North America, for her, she will sort of see YouTube as, 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 as every bit as reliable a source of medical information as, say, a paper from Harvard Medical School. In terms of his daughter's role in all of this. I mean, is there is there another irony there? Just because he, you know, he's become known for promoting this idea of a strong male. Is there something quite ironic about the fact that his daughter seems to be running the show? You're not joking. I mean, <laughs> how could that irony be lost on anyone? It's completely surreal. When I interviewed her first, for a long, long time, she absolutely unambiguously presented me as, you know, the person in charge of this show. And then when I interviewed him the following day thinking rather naively, I have to admit, thinking, God, I can't wait to kind of ask him, you know, why on earth have you seemed to have devolved all power to your 28-year-old daughter with no medical training whatsoever? Of course, what I hadn't bargained on was that she would be monitoring the conversation and very quick to intervene and jump in and actually and correct her father if she felt that for one moment he was straying from their agreed version of events. She would jump in like a jack-in-the-box, literally arms waving, shouting, hold on, hold on, hold on. And essentially tell him what had been wrong with him or tell him, and he would nod and say, yes, 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 yes. There was a kind of befuddled quality about him that meant that he would defer at once to her correcting the record so that it reflected precisely her theories about what happened, what was wrong, and what will make him better. So you had to speak to Michaela first, but then when, when Jordan Peterson did come on the line, I mean, what, what did he look like? To be honest, I think... I mean, by the time I'd finished with Michaela, I really still did not know what to expect. Michaela had kind of it portrayed a picture of him as so very broken, so very damaged... My first impression was really overwhelming relief. I thought, oh, thank God, no, this is recognisably Jordan Peterson. He looked every bit as dapper, you know, he's always meticulously groomed. Again, that's part of his whole shtick about masculinity, you know. Tidy yourself up, have self-respect. And he absolutely lives by that. And so, of course, as always, was beautifully dressed, groomed. He looked very thin, a little bit frail... And I had, it would be difficult to put my finger on exactly why I say this, but 
Almost immediately, I had a sense of him being quite vulnerable or fragile. Having said all of that, he was warm and friendly, and he can be quite funny. He's good company. He seemed like he looked like a man who had obviously been ill, but was basically okay. We'll have more on that in just a moment. For more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. Join today and get one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It was Michaela who filled you in on what she called the nitty-gritty details of his illness, which apparently started a number of years back when Jordan Peterson was just coming to prominence. When did things really take a turn for him, according to Michaela? The whole saga began very late in 2016 when Jordan and Michaela and Michaela's husband, who were all following the same diet, ate a stew that contained apple cider, to which they all had the most violent reaction. Jordan's the most violent of all. He has said that he had been unable to sleep for 25 days straight. He couldn't stand without blacking out. I was wearing multiple layers of clothes and multiple layers of blankets, and I couldn't get warm. Um, I had an overwhelming sense of, of doom and anxiety. Um, and... I didn't want to move. And plus, I couldn't sleep for, for days and days. I, I don't... I, I was without sleep for many weeks. And, and this was no from inadvertently were... ingesting apple cider? I have... Look, that's what... That's... This is... There are no doubt... Hold up. It wasn't apple cider. Okay. It was sodium metabisulfite in apple cider. Um, right. Like the alcoholic apple cider was added to a stew. Understood. And so it was sodium metabisulfite in that apple cider, but it wasn't apple cider. Right, I understand. 
And he described being overwhelmed, flooded by terrible anxiety and panic. So he went to a doctor who prescribed him a fairly low dose of benzodiazepines, and they seemed to help stabilize the panic, and he was able to sleep. He says, obviously, it was a very, very busy time in his life. He was just becoming a YouTube star, a kind of cultural war conservative hero. Uh, his book would be coming out shortly. By his account, he barely gave these pills a thought. They just did what they needed to do. He took them, and that was the end of the matter. And that continued to be the case until early 2019, when his wife, Tammy, who, to whom he's been married for 30 years, was diagnosed with kidney cancer. The doctors barely knew how to treat it or what to do about it. It was such an obscure and rare cancer. And for months, Tammy was in and out of hospital being operated on and suffering all kinds of surgical complications. And Jordan was at her bedside and in a pitch of kind of panic and anxiety and feeling that he was starting to unravel somewhat, he went back to the doctor who then increased his prescription, his dose of benzodiazepine. And that's when things started to go wrong because instead of having the intended effect of soothing him, the drugs seemed to only make his anxiety and panic worse. That summer, he decided that as these drugs seemed to be perhaps the culprit, he would stop taking them. So he went cold turkey. And things went catastrophically wrong. He developed symptoms which he believed, and continues to believe, were symptoms of benzodiazepine withdrawal. And in his case, this manifested itself in ravening, uncontrollable anxiety and panic, where he couldn't sit still and he couldn't stop kind of writhing and twisting and pacing and it felt as if his skin was crawling and he was tormented by a sense of perpetual restlessness. And as he describes it as the worst kind of torture that anyone could go through. It sent him out of his mind and it made him frantically suicidal. He and his family were scared that he would actually try to hurt himself, try to kill himself. And so on the advice, on the advice of further psychiatrists, they said, you need to come off the benzodiazepines, but you must do it very, very, very slowly. And to do that, he checked into what he describes as the absolute world-leading rehab clinic in Connecticut, where he stayed for six weeks while they tried to taper him gently off the benzodiazepines. Unfortunately, by the end of the six weeks, he was feeling much, much worse and pretty fed up than he had been even before he checked in. This is where the bizarre medical world tour kicks off. From Connecticut, Jordan Peterson returns to Toronto, where he was admitted to a public hospital and psychiatrists diagnosed him as schizophrenic. They wanted to treat him with electric shock therapy. At this point, his family are absolutely ballistic. They said, don't be mad, He's, he is not 
schizophrenic. This is not schizophrenia. As far as Michaela was and is concerned, there was one problem here, and that was benzodiazepine withdrawal, and there's one solution, which is to get him off it. Michaela says, we need to find a clinic that will get him off these damn benzodiazepines because they're the culprit, they're the only problem. She gets onto Google and she rings 57 clinics all over the world to ask them, will you get our dad off benzodiazepines? Now, at this point, she's not interested in a clinic that will offer to provide that service in the kind of incremental way, because as far as they're concerned, they tried that in Connecticut and it didn't work. So that's it. That idea is off the table. But there isn't really any other way to do it except one procedure practiced by one clinic in Moscow where in order to get you straight off the benzodiazepam, they induce a coma using the drug that killed Michael Jackson. And while you're in a coma, they remove all the plasma from your blood and clean it because they think that the half-life of benzodiazepines will last so long that even for a long time after you stop taking them, it will remain in your system, hence the withdrawal problems. So they said to Michaela, yes, we do detox. This is how we do it. We'll put him in a coma will wash his blood while he's in the coma and he's going to come out squeaky clean brand new. And Michaela said, let's do it. And so in January, she and a private nurse and a security guard and her husband, he's Russian, boarded a private plane with their father and flew him to Moscow where he was indeed induced into an eight-day coma. And did it work? What happened to him? The problems began when he emerged from the coma and he could, couldn't speak, he couldn't walk, he'd forgotten how to type, he'd suffered some kind of radical neurological damage. So when he surfaced from this coma, any notion that, as if by magic, he would be cured went out the window pretty darn quickly and Michaela was left horrified. And she says to me, I just thought, oh, my God. You know, if this has gone horribly wrong, everyone is going to blame me because who takes someone to detox in Russia? It was really hard, especially when I was, like, in Russia. Being so they were all attacking you for being in Russia, for taking him to Russia? Yeah, because they didn't understand, right? And they didn't know, oh, we tried a whole bunch of hospitals. We called 57 of them, right? We went to one of the top rehab centers in the States. We went to a hospital in Canada. Like, they, did, they were just like, you just brought him to Russia, which, like, yeah, I get it. At this point, they got into a blind panic. Her father was transferred to a public hospital that Michaela describes as sort of Soviet era under heavy guard three hours north of Moscow through a deep Moscow winter. The Peterson family spent a few months in Moscow with Jordan shuttling between different clinics as he recovered. Eventually, they flew to Florida, thinking the worst was behind them. But the symptoms soon reappeared. And so Michaela gets on the internet again and looks for more clinics that might be able to help. And this time she finds one in Serbia where they say they know how they're going to be able to treat her dad. So back they get on a plane and now they're off to Serbia. And this time there seems to be some progress, only now they've gotten caught up in a whole COVID melodrama because the country wasn't in lockdown when they arrived. Then they had a general election 
and then they decided the country did have to go into lockdown. So Michaela and her husband and their three-year-old child and their nanny all at that point moved in with her father in the clinic, to lockdown in the clinic, at which point they all, five of them, contracted COVID-19. The family eventually recovered, but by now it was autumn 2020 and Jordan Peterson had been on his medical tour of the world for nine months. He's now on an awful lot of drugs that he wasn't on in the beginning, but he does, they think, finally seem to be getting better and he flies home to Toronto, hoping and intending to convalesce. Only by this point, this condition of restlessness, panic, pacing, skin-crawling torment has been diagnosed as being given a name in Serbia. The doctors have said it's akathisia. Akathisia? What's that? Akathisia, I mean, really and truly, it's just a word to describe a set of symptoms. It's simply a word to describe this endless, tormenting, restless pacing, twisting, inability to sit still, inability to relax. And again, ended up in such a... This akathisia was so bad. Akathisia makes people suicidal. It's this crawling feeling that's so bad. You can see people on YouTube try to describe it. It's a crawling sensation that makes you not want to stop moving. Um, And so it's commonly misdiagnosed as schizophrenia because they don't know what it is. Um, And in order to treat schizophrenia... All that is clear is that having returned after this kind of absolutely bizarre shuttling around the world, he continues to suffer from akathisia. It's horrendous that After all that, he still seems to be suffering. Having heard their tale, could you empathise? Could you understand their odyssey, you know, being willing to try anything when you're that desperate? Yeah, I think anybody who's had a serious illness that the doctors don't seem to find easy to cure can relate to that sort of, that desperation that kicks in. If they had kind of rationalised this extraordinary medical goose chase they went on, in those terms, it might have been slightly easier to relate to them. I also, I think if I'm really honest, my greater empathy or sort of sympathy, I'm not sure which is the right word in this context, I think it must have been absolutely extraordinary and unreal and mind-boggling to be Jordan Peterson for the last five years. You know, he was a really ordinary, obscure academic who was catapulted overnight into the kind of stratospheric, not just fame, but notoriety. Controversy followed him wherever he went. You know, he must have been absolutely flat out, strung out for years. It seems not unreasonable to consider the possibility that he found himself in... His life became intolerably stressful, extraordinary, completely unreal, quite traumatising... And then his wife is diagnosed with what looks like terminal cancer. And I think it's entirely possible that when the chips were really down, Jordan Peterson's prescription for manning up, sucking it up, standing up straight, deal with it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, stop whining, be a man, da-da-da, that that just didn't serve him very well. Because it's not actually a very helpful philosophy for life. I personally, I think, feel sort of sorry for somebody who had invested so much faith 
in an individual's power to handle any amount of stress without things going wrong. I think maybe, maybe life disproved that, and maybe he found he'd, he'd take, he, he couldn't cope. And I don't blame him for that. It must have been unbelievably difficult to be Jordan Peterson. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, chief interviewer for the Sunday Times, Decker Aitkenhead. You can read more of Decker's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers today were Asia Fuchs and Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Falcon Kiseltuk. If there's a story that you think we should be covering, any ideas you have for future episodes, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening to this extra episode. We'll be back again tomorrow. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 